Hello and welcome to The Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. I'm Mitch Sherman. Scott Docterman is here. Happy New Year. Scott, you missed out on a trip to Nashville after Missouri's COVID situation canceled the Music City Bowl for Iowa. Yes, we are still talking about the pandemic in 2021, but I hope the start of your football offseason is going well. You know, it's it's actually tough when it comes to an abrupt end like that. You don't know where to sit. Uh, you know, I, I I think it was it was really difficult for Iowa because they were really ascending. They they actually cared about going to this game and came back and and then all of a sudden it was like you're gone and and the, so a lot of the players really I think the coaches kind of struggled with it as well, but. Uh, but, you know, for myself, it was just kind of surreal to sit there and watch Wisconsin play Wake Forest and know, OK, there's no bowl game for me this year. Um, but that said, we wouldn't have been able to do the things in Nashville that you normally would want to do, especially in light of what happened on Christmas Day. So I think that's just uh, the way it goes. Yeah, it was uh, definitely it's been a, it's been a different kind of bowl season, even for those bowls that that have occurred and, and, you know, watching the, the, the bowl games with the empty stadiums and, um, you know, not the same kind of pageantry watching the Rose bowl take place in, uh, in North Texas was, uh, odd to say the least. So unusual all around unusual for those teams that had bowls scheduled and didn't get to go. But, uh, hopefully next year in bowl season, we're talking a completely different, uh, set of storylines. So today, on the show, we should, of course, tip our hats to Ohio State. The Buckeyes are headed to South Florida for the college football playoff championship game next Monday against Alabama. A big win for Ryan Day and Justin Fields on New Year's Day against Clemson in the semifinals. For more on that, be sure to go find our Monday show with Scott and Nicole Auerbach and the Tuesday show with Audrey Snyder and Ohio State writer Bill Landis. They will go deep into what happened in the Clemson victory and also look ahead to next week when Ohio State goes toe-to-toe with the behemoth Alabama. So we are going to discuss some comings and goings in the Big Ten West on this episode. And I think, Scott, we should start with the division champ, Northwestern, which capped a 7-2 and season by dispatching Auburn 35-19 in the Citrus Bowl on Friday, New Year's Day. Yeah, what a first of all, what a tremendous victory for the Wildcats. And uh, they looked really good, I thought, on both sides of the ball. And I think some of their departures were also uh, impacted. And if, if a few players were still there, I don't think that it would even be that close. And I was a little troubled in some ways by the uh, the narrative that Auburn had so many players out, <laughs> but there was never a reflection that Northwestern did too. Northwestern had seven players in the transfer portal even before the bowl game, and that included you know Drake Anderson, the son of Damian Anderson, one of the greatest players in Northwestern history, the leading running back in the in the team in yards, Isaiah Bowser who uh, Iowa fans can't forget soon enough for his 2018 fourth quarter at Kinnick Stadium to clinch the division that year. Um, Kyrick McGowan, the second leading receiver, uh, gone. And the leading pass rusher, Leota, who I thought that one probably left the biggest mark of all because I don't think Northwestern was awesome rushing the passer, and their back seven was as good as anybody in the country. And then you have Greg Newsom, who was unable to play, 
Um, he's heading to the draft, and then you lose the best linebacker tandem, certainly in the Big Ten, in, in Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher. So that's a lot of players that they're losing for next year. But I think, all things told, the way that they played, even without most of those players, um, you know, the seven who've transferred in, in Newsom, uh, they couldn't have played a better game against a, you know, a pretty decent opponent. Yeah, as the narrative goes in the SEC, if if um, if the SEC uh, teams are without opponent or without uh, key players um, or appear unmotivated in a bowl game, then uh, you know that is of course the reason they lost. And this, you know, we've heard this kind of talk for years and years when whether it's the Big Ten or the ACC or the Big Twelve that matches up with the SEC in in some of these bowl games. Um, if the SEC teams play well, well then. You know they're they're uh, just validating the strength of the league, and if they don't, it was a bowl game that didn't mean that much, or it was because of a coaching change, which Auburn also has endured this offseason, or or uh, player departures, or a lack of motivation. Um, I do think it's important, as you said, to point out that Northwestern is going through a lot of the same stuff, and you know is going through even more now that we've reached the offseason portion of this uh, of this year, and, and Mike Hankwitz. The, uh, the legendary defensive coordinator at Northwestern retired after that Citrus Bowl win. You have AD Jim, Jim Phillips, who's off to the ACC to be the commissioner of that league. Certainly a disruption in the athletic department in Evanston here over the past few weeks. And, and now, um, as happens anytime, Northwestern has an outstanding season. There's speculation that Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach, could I possibly a leap to the NFL. So what do you think Northwestern has to do to survive these next several weeks largely intact? And is there reason to be concerned if you're, if you're a Northwestern fan about Pat Fitzgerald any more this season than in previous off seasons? I think so, because I don't, I think in the past he hasn't really, it always seemed like he was discussed, but not necessarily serious. I think this time around, um, you know, based on some of the questions, I think it was Dave Revson who tried to ask him several different times, and he seemed more evasive on the NFL. And I know that there was a report, and sometimes you take these with a, you know, the cliche grain of salt, but I think it was Adam Schefter who said that he's more willing to listen this time around. And when you look at uh, the kind of the end of the era, you know, he let Mick McGall go last year as the offensive coordinator. Mike Hankwitz, who's been with him since 2007, uh, is retiring after 400 wins. Jim Phillips is the best athletic director in the Big Ten, if not the country. He's done an unbelievable job at Northwestern. He Probably you can make a strong case. He should be the athlete, the commissioner of the Big Ten, but we won't go there right now. Uh, and going to the ACC. So if you're Pat Fitzgerald and you, I won't say you've reached a midlife crisis, but you've reached a kind of a crossroads in your career. What can you do at Northwestern that you haven't done? Do you, are you, will you be satisfied doing it for the next fifteen to twenty years, or is it time to make that step to see if you can compete at a different level? And and you're not going to be competing against Northwestern. You'll be, you know, as a head coach for an NFL team, and and uh, I think it's a it's a tough situation for him because um, he has more love for his alma mater than just about any t- coach I've ever seen, and he is the most important figure sports figure in Northwestern history. And so he's got a lot on his plate to decide. But that said, if he goes, 
then you're looking at Northwestern going, okay, what's next? There's a lot here that, that they've got to figure out. And I don't, I don't say they're kind of going into uncharted territory at this point. Yeah, we've been through Black Monday in the NFL, and, and there are some openings. I don't know if there's an opening that I would look at and say, okay, uh, put Pat Fitzgerald there, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, every year, the, the, the one job that I think Northwestern fans leeringly have literally have their eye on is is the Bears and the Bears are are in the playoffs at eight and eight and Matt Nagy is safe for now so we're going to turn this into an NFL podcast here for a minute yeah and could could because if that one opens up then it's game on then it's you know a completely different discussion if Pat Fitzgerald is in the mix for the Chicago Bears job because he could stay uh, in, in in Chicago um, I think it's the I, I don't I'm not saying this because I came up with this, but I think it's the it's the job that many people around college football could see him going for um, without it being much of a leap at all. So if the Bears go down in flames on Sunday in New Orleans, is that Matt Nagy is safe conversation suddenly he's only safe if Pat Fitzgerald is not interested. That's a great question, and uh, you know I kind of follow the Bears a little bit, uh, so I, I've fought, watched this uh, Matt Nagy situation and Ryan Pace situation, and you know pretty closely, like hour by hour. And I would say that uh, <laughs> um, based on the way that they didn't play for you know a quarter against Green Bay and uh, the, the previous games, and then also what could happen in, in New Orleans, I think it really actually could matter um you know a lot of times you don't want to have a referendum on one single game for a for a team or an era but i think it does because if they go to new orleans and lose 42 to 17 then what i mean then why keep him and and why keep pace and naggy and uh you know Fitz is a lifelong Bears fan, and I know he's brought it up before that uh, you know the packers sought him out and he had a family meeting and i think it was his daughter said look we're Bears fans, and so then he's like, mm. "I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna interview." So now that said, if I'm Detroit, if I'm the Detroit Lions, and you've got Chris Spielman, who really is a lot like Fitz, you know, and and he played like Fitz when he was at Ohio State, probably yeah, about the same, you know, they've got same mentality. If Fitzgerald went there, he could really revitalize that team. Now, would he want to do it at, at the Bears' expense? Well, he'd have to. <laughs> so I I think now's the time for him to listen. If it's not the right opportunity, then then no. But if if uh, next Monday the Bears are unsuccessful in that game against New Orleans and the Bears change head coaches and probably the whole regime, then I think I th- I, I mean I think the Bears should hire him like five minutes afterwards. But we'll see what happens. Right. Another big decision. In Evanston, not as big as one that Fitzgerald might face, but big nonetheless, is Peyton Ramsey's choice to come back as a could he come back as a grad transfer second a second year grad transfer quarterback led led the Cats to to seven victories and and capped it with a very nice performance that we'll talk about later in the uh, in the Citrus Bowl. So um, Fitzgerald has done some lobbying and uh, has done it publicly in suggesting that they would love to have Peyton Ramsey return, and, and that will loom large 
no matter what happens uh, elsewhere at Northwestern, and no matter what else has already happened with the transfer portal, the decision that Ramsey has to make is going to be a big one for the Wildcats' fortunes in 2021. Well, yeah, without a doubt, because we saw in, in you know 2019 they had no offense at all. They were as bad as I can remember, you know, in the Big Ten, and and that was strange because they had a five star quarterback in Hunter Johnson who just couldn't mm-hmm. do anything. They had a walk on T.J. Green, Trent Green's kid, who was uh, injured for the most part. But I think if you're Peyton Ramsey, you got to look at it in a couple of different veins, and one is, can he go to the NFL? I, I think he's a he probably signs as a free agent. I don't think he mm-hmm. gets drafted. Uh, he's probably the twentieth top quarterback going in. So uh, at at that point, you know, okay, it's an opportunity. Secondly, you know, what's can you feel like you want to continue in school because schools it's hard to go to school at Northwestern. It's not fun <laughs> you know, to go to all those classes and do all that work. Um, but that said, if you haven't, if you want to get your master's at Northwestern university, no matter when football ends and for Peyton Manzi, Ramsey, that could be when he's 25, 26 years old, you've got a hell of a degree for the rest of your life. But I also, I also think that probably number one is, will Pat Fitzgerald be there? Because I, if yeah. he's gone, you know, I, I don't know that I would want to stay because you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Speaking of quarterbacks on the move, there's one on the move from Madison, Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Badgers will be without Jack Cohen. He's not just in the transfer portal. He, has, he is out of the transfer portal and on to South Bend, Indiana and Notre Dame. So uh, from one big Power 5 school to another Jack Cohen will bid to replace Ian Book next year for the Fighting Irish. Um, as for Wisconsin, it was the other Big Ten West team to play this postseason. The Badgers beat Wake Forest 42-28 in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, and Paul Christ was doused with water after the uh, game. Boo. We wanted to see Mayo coming out of that Gatorade bucket. I don't know yes. I don't know what happened, where the, uh, the disconnect was, but a very poor decision on the part of the Duke's Mayo Bowl to uh, to place water. I mean, Paul would have been I think he would have he would have felt right at home with uh with Mayo all over his uh his outerwear going to the uh to the to the postgame handshake there in Charlotte. But Right. Uh, uh yeah, it would have felt just like a TJF Fridays in Madison. There <laughs> <laughs> everybody's walking out with Mayo on their shirt, so that would have been just like what it would have been like. So also for Wisconsin, some departures. Running back Nakia Watson heads to the portal um, as the uh, uh, the Badgers seem to place their future running game in the hands of Jalen Berger, the uh, the former top recruit out of uh, I believe New Jersey. Is that uh, is yeah. that right? Where where so many of the Wisconsin great backs have come from? Uh, safety Colin Wilder is coming back, as is wide receiver Kendrick Pryor. And Danny Davis, uh, also in that pass-catching core, has not announced, but is likely to return. So Wisconsin uh, has Graham Mertz, some some um, some stability at the quarterback spot, even without Cohen. How do you feel like Wisconsin enters this offseason considering these uh, these departures and returns? I think they're in pretty good shape across the board. I mean, you know, the uh, they weren't – this was not a great year for Wisconsin, certainly. We saw that play out on the field. It was, same thing happened in 2018. I think they were, you know, they won like eight games that year. This year they're just a little above 500. Uh, 
it if you're Jack Cohen, you, you basically saw the writing on the wall that it was going to be Graham Mertz's team and you're not going to have that opportunity to beat him out. It's kind of an interesting that this is a second straight year. You've had a, you know, or, or I guess Arab where you've had an injury and up forcing somebody out with Alex Hornibrook uh, mm-hmm. going to Florida State a couple years ago. So I think this is this is fascinating on that regard. Uh, Nakia Watson just thought that he wasn't going to be the number one guy, and and Wisconsin seems to have that. And um, I think Jalen Berger is that guy. Now they had an unprecedented run, especially for that program of incredible running backs over the last ten years or so. And is Jalen Berger as good as? Jonathan Taylor or Melvin Gordon or or James White or John Clay. I don't know. I mean, that's a that's going to be a stretch for me to get them in that category. But I think they've got a good enough team. They've got a great program. Obviously, they didn't look in sync offensively when I saw them up close. Uh, but I think having a lot of these guys back, and then uh, you know maybe just as important. Is Kendrick Pryor coming back? And Danny Davis hasn't announced it, but I think he's coming back. If you can get those two players back with Graham Mertz, they, they're pretty good. Now, I don't know about Jake Ferguson yet either. He's kind of hanging out there. But uh, they've, they've got the guts of a really good team, I think. Right. Ferguson, uh, of course, the grandson of Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez, and maybe there are implications there about uh, the AD's future that could uh, mm-hmm. could hinge on Ferguson's decision in addition to just a great tight end for uh, Wisconsin and uh, a, a headliner in the Big Ten. So tell us what's going on at Iowa. Um, Iowa's had some, uh, some departures. Iowa um, may have some uh, decisions still to be made. What, uh, what's it like uh, in Iowa City here in early January? Yeah, there's still a couple that are hanging out there, and they're kind of crucial. Um, I guess, first of all, that the majority of the seniors that could come back have chosen not to. The guys like uh, the wide receivers, Brandon Smith and Amir Smith-Marset, are off. Uh, Makai Sargent, a backup running back, is is off. Uh, Alaric Jackson, Chauncey Golston, uh, and, a, and a move that surprised absolutely everybody and nobody. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. kidding about the everybody part. Davion Nixon, the Defensive Player of the Year and a consensus All-American, is off to the NFL. But uh, they did receive good word with defensive end Zach Van Valkenburg, who led the country with four fumble recoveries and was a second-team All-Big Ten player. He, he decided to return for a sixth year. So they've got a couple of others. I would expect somebody like kicker Caleb Shudak. Uh, this is finally his opportunity to get out of uh, Keith Duncan's shadow, even though they've had some very close competitions, um, to, to stick around for a sixth year. There's some discussion that lawn snapper Austin Spiewak, whose parents were the ones who hand-delivered the letter to the Big Ten um, right okay. after the season was canceled. So they started the whole thing rolling. Um, he might come back. He's a non-scholarship player. But then a couple of others. Uh, Zach, uh, Jack Heflin has not made an announcement. Defensive tackle did a really good job for Iowa. Um, Matt Hankins, I'd expect him to leave, but he hasn't said it yet. Uh, he would be the only member of the secondary to exit. So they, they've got a lot of really good players. They've got some question marks to me up front on the defensive line. Outside of that, they're in really good shape. And I would. And there are five scholarships under the limit right now. I expect them to be players in the transfer portal. Active in the portal, Iowa, uh, it sounds like. You know, when I, when I hear those names and that news – about guys like Nixon and and the receivers that you mentioned who are departing, 
Um, you know, it doesn't really shake me too much in my confidence with Iowa because over the last five or six years, this has kind of been status quo for the Hawkeyes to lose guys early who are high draft picks. And they've done a real nice job, I think, of, of filling those holes and kind of becoming the program in the Big Ten West, really the, the only one you can look at that has consistently put players high into the draft and, and sent guys early to the NFL. Now, you've not seen it even as much at Wisconsin. Now, not to say that Wisconsin um, has not sent players to the NFL and even sent some early, but Iowa's been more consistent, especially with players at the line of scrimmage in, in, uh, in producing draft picks. So um, despite the situation this year where all seniors have an opportunity to come back and play another year, a fifth year or a sixth year, um, it doesn't look all that much different to me at Iowa where they, they have been able to reload pretty nicely at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and you're right. And, you know, whether it's players like Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson or AJ Epineza and Tristan Wirfs and, and now uh, Davion Nixon, and they've had a couple of others like Anthony Nelson, Amani Hooker, and Geno Stone who have been mid-level draft picks but still have left early. So, But they've been able to replace them. It's taken a little bit of time, but then you've seen like the defensive line this year really come to life. Uh, one guy I forgot to mention, and I probably should, is Tyler Linderbaum electing to return. He's, he was a redshirt sophomore, arguably the best center in the country, uh, a real physical force at that position, and he he really had no interest in it. And it was interesting because we asked Kirk Ferentz if he had conversations with either Davion or or uh, Tyler Linderbaum, and, and Kirk's like, yeah, I have with Davion, uh, but I haven't with Tyler. I haven't noticed any interest in his part and he just came out it's like I can't wait to be a Hawkeye again and I think in some ways that's because he's from nearby Solon which is about 10 miles north of Iowa uh, Iowa's campus uh, you know there's an attachment there there's a you know he's a fan he grew up here and I think in some ways that uh, you know still being young he's not even 21 years old yet I think he just likes being in college and having fun so why why penalize him for that and I think if he can come back and have a similar year he'll solidify a first round status right now he's probably in that you know, late first round to early third round range just depending on the teams and what they like right he's got a chance to be an Iowa legend at this point if he's a you know multiple time um, all-america caliber player so um, you know, not surprising, I, I suppose, to hear that kind of news from a guy, as you mentioned, who grew up right in the shadow of the of the Iowa program. Um, across the state of Iowa and across the Missouri River to the west, Nebraska has gained some early momentum this off season. I, I had a uh, a comment thrown at me on, on on Twitter after reporting some of this news on Tuesday or on Monday that it must be the off season if Nebraska has momentum. And, and uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, there's not much you can say in response to that. That's kind of the way it's been in recent years. You know, things, uh, things they kind of gain steam in the off season and then the year gets or the fall comes and, and they fall flat. So that's what that's honestly, that's the way it's been for, uh, for four years now and uh, in five of the last six. So for Nebraska to change that kind of storyline, uh, things are going to have to change with the results on the field. But um <laughs> One thing that could help change those results on the field are these announcements by first by senior outside linebacker Jojo Doman, who was Nebraska's top playmaker at the linebacker in the linebacker group. Um, he's coming back for a sixth year 
on that uh, on that defense that made some strides this year, and then maybe a bit surprised to hear that Cam Taylor Britt, who was the second team um, all all uh, Big Ten player, is uh, is going to come back for uh, his fourth year in the program. He'll technically still be a junior next year because of this uh, this COVID situation, but um, I'm going to call him a senior. Um, I think they'll list him as a senior. Uh, on the uh, on official Nebraska roster, it'll be his last year next year as a corner and the anchor of that secondary. So those are both big wins for Nebraska in the defense. Um, several decisions still to come out of Lincoln, uh, notably defensive end Ben Stilley, linebacker Will Honus, safeties Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuke, all senior starters on that improved defense in 2020 for Nebraska. And then you've also got Dedrick Mills, Matt Farniak on the offensive line. Mills is a running back uh, on the offensive side. I'm a little bit less um, less certain, or I would say, uh, I would say I'm, 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 I don't feel as good for Nebraska about the chances that they'll get those guys back on offense as I do some of the defensive guys. Also, all Big Ten kicker Connor Culp is a possibility to uh, to come back in in 2021. Um, previously, we did hear news from Brendan Hymas, Nebraska's uh, three-year starter, four-year starter at left tackle as he opted out before the season finale. So kind of a mixed bag so far from Nebraska and some big decisions still to come that will shape the Huskers moving forward, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, I, I think these are really fascinating decisions because Will Honus, I remember him distinctly, you know, coming out of junior college, and I know it kind of came down between Nebraska and Iowa for, for where he was going to go, and and I really liked the way the safeties played for the most part. I thought they hit hard, and and they at least in the game I saw. So th- these this is a big deal um, because I think all of those players have reached that threshold, um, maybe similar to Peyton Ramsey in some ways, which is. They're, none of them are getting drafted. I mean, but they'd have NFL opportunities. Uh, they go to a camp, they get a name, their name on their jersey, and, and then hope that they stick probably on a practice team. So that's you've got that on one side, but then the other is come back, have an opportunity to, to play better and, and improve your draft stock, but also uh, to improve because you get to the NFL and you're one of those players. I mean, you're 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 lucky to stick. You really are, and I think that's in, this, in the case of the of the other uh, Stilly or, or Honus, you know Williams and Dismukes. That that's kind of the way I would look at them. Now, Connor Culp, do you expect him to come back? I thought he was the best kicker in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, he was as far as his accuracy. Um, doesn't have a huge leg, but uh, he was reliable and in a, in, a, in a massive upgrade for Nebraska over the uh, musical <laughs> yeah. chairs at the kicking spot that it had in 2019. I do, Connor Culp. Of the 18 seniors on the roster, Connor Culp was the only one in the Minnesota game before that game who did who opted not to go through the senior day festivities and and you know he didn't talk publicly about that wasn't made available to the media after that game to explain that decision so you know you're, you're kind of inferring into that that perhaps he expects to have a senior day next year 
Um, so there's some thought there that Culp will come back. He's the grad transfer from LSU who was a walk-on this year. I think he could, would come back on scholarship. And there's yeah. also the possibility, a guy I didn't mention, um, another walk-on um, via the grad transfer route, Levi Falk, who was a pretty good receiver for Nebraska this year, effective in the run game as a blocker, caught a few, caught a few passes, um, lost some of his snaps to Oliver Martin late in the season, also a walk-on, um, right. not somebody with a senior decision to make, but certainly somebody after his first year in the program, and Iowa and Michigan fans will know that name, um, who could, who would be in line in Lincoln to to get added to the Husker scholarship roles um, here in, uh, in in January of 2021? So yeah, definitely still some decisions. I, I talked uh, before we move on from Nebraska. I talked to the father of JoJo Doman. Uh, Craig Doman is an NFL agent. Um, was actually the agent for Scott Frost when he played in the NFL and uh, wanted to get some some insight from Craig about JoJo's decision, but maybe also the mindset of some of these other guys who were JoJo's teammates. And, and I don't believe that JoJo made that decision to come back entirely on his own in a vacuum. Um, I don't believe he would have made that choice based on my conversations um, with his dad if he didn't feel good, one, about the direction of the defense, but also about the possibility that some of those guys around him, like Stilly and Honus in that front seven, would join him as sixth-year seniors next season. So something to watch here in the next few days. I'd expect um, some news there out of Lincoln on, uh, on Stilly, Honus, perhaps Williams, Dismuke. Um, some of these guys are going to go give it a shot in the NFL. Williams is 24 years old. Dedrick Mills mm. is 24 years old. So uh, tough to come back for a sixth year and then be 25 going into the NFL draft um, or, or looking for a team to, uh, to latch on to uh, in 2022. Yeah, it's always tough when you get to that situation when you get fifth-year seniors anyway, let alone sixth-year seniors, where you, your body's only got X amount of years of football left in it, no matter mm-hmm. how good you are. And do you want to get paid, if, if you're, especially if you're a, a draft pick, do you want to get paid for – if you have eight years left of football in your body, do you want to get paid for eight or seven? You know, And I think sometimes you got to think about that. Now, in their case – you know, being in college is, is, is takes a lot out of you. I mean, it's going to class every day. It's living off campus. It's not having really any money other than scholarship money or your parents or, you know, things like that. So it, it's tough when you start to ask guys to stick around uh, unless they really have an ambition to me to want to be in grad school to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All important things to consider and, and, and some things that I think fans don't often consider, too, is, is just the, you know, the, the life that these guys um, li- have lived this last year. It's been so tough to, uh, to have gone through what they have for everybody, but, you know, college football players uh, getting tested every day from the end of September um, into December is not an easy thing. You know, always no. worrying that you're going to walk into a gas station and uh, and wreck a, an entire game for your for your team uh, because you caught this virus. It's been it's been stressful. It's been difficult. And there's some people who are just ready to move on. Yeah, and I don't know about you. I'm sure you feel the same way. I've never seen coaches and players more mentally fried than mm-hmm. I have this year at the end of the year. I mean, you know, you take you, you look at the team you cover, Nebraska. Uh, choosing not to p- participate in a bowl game. And it's because of just that factor. It's not that they don't want to play football. They want to play football. But it just took such a toll out of them um, that I thought it was it was really tough. And I think you saw that with coaches like 
Rutgers and Greg Schiano getting emotional and Kirk getting emotional all the time. And, and it's just, it, it took a, such a toll on these guys that they needed that time off now. And, uh, and I, I think that's something that, you know, depending on how much longer we all have to live in this eternal bubble, <laughs> I think will impact what, what also happens even in the fall. For sure. How is Kirk Ferentz, by the way, is he back in the office that, uh, um, things okay with uh, with his health? Uh, you got any any uh, any insight for us there? Yeah, he he was fine. I mean, he always gets a cough at the late at the end of the year, which he always says, and, and he's right. Uh, it it kind of surprised him. He said he didn't really feel anything, and then it, he said he had one bad day. He thought while he was at home um, waiting for everything, but but he would. When he tested out, then on that Saturday, which would have been the day before the bowl was canceled, he seemed okay, and and he coughed quite a bit when we talked to him, but he tried to say, "Look, this is this is just normal. This isn't COVID," and so I, I think he may have ended up pretty lucky in that regard. But he did look wiped out, which I, I would say, based on their off season and the season, and then COVID and everything else, uh, was probably par for the course for a sixty-five year old man. Yeah, well, I know it's not in coach's nature to uh, to rest. Uh, all, all coaches, not just Coach yeah. Ferentz, but not in not in the nature of a lot of coaches to rest, uh, especially when there's another uh, recruiting signing period ahead, uh, just a, just a month away. Um, but most of these staffs have got their their work done or primarily done for those 2021 classes, and and uh, I hope that that all of them. Uh, get an opportunity to get a little break. One, one coach who's not getting a break right now um, is Brett Bielema at Illinois because he is uh, he is hiring a staff and started to put this thing together. Um, we can talk quickly about that. Offensive coordinator position has been filled by Tony Peterson, who spent some time at Minnesota more than a decade ago where he coached against Bielema and gave uh, Bielema's Wisconsin defenses some trouble in the, uh, in the mid um, 2000s. Um, also coached at Iowa State, and uh, Peterson was recently, just this last year, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Appalachian State. So looks like he's going to bring more elements of the spread to Champaign than what Bielema has generally uh, implemented with his teams, be it at Wisconsin or Arkansas. Yeah, I think these are some fascinating hires, but I also think, you know, the blocking pattern, you know, bringing in Bart Miller, who was a grad assistant for him when he fired uh, his offensive line coach just two games into the season, I want to say in 2012, maybe. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's, you know, you're bringing back kind of the old gap mentality. So, uh, you know, it sounds like to me that they're they're aiming towards having a very physical front wall that's able to, you know, run gap blocking for the most part, probably some zone as well, but then also having more of a mobile quarterback that's willing to do more things. And um, so he's, it's kind of a modernization. It's not the, you know, typical Scott Tolzien's or, you know, Joel Stave almost standing back there and, and uh, you know, playing 10 on 11 in a lot of cases. Right. Purdue uh, and Jeff Brom are still looking for a defensive coordinator after the parting of ways with Bob Diaco. Uh, do want to look also, Scott, at a story or mention a story that you wrote that was out this week on The Athletic about the schedule for the Big Ten in 2021. We don't have it yet. We don't know what that schedule is going to look like. There is a schedule. Teams do have games on the calendar, but things are going to change. Uh, you did some reporting on that. Talked to Kerry Kenny at the Big Ten. Is quoted in your story. 
what did you find out about what needs to happen and when it's going to happen with restructuring next fall around the Big Ten? Yeah, you look first of all, and there were six rivalry flips in 2020 from 2019, where there were two years played at the same location in a row. Now, COVID wiped out a few of those games, but uh, if they were to keep the same schedule that they have right now in place, you'd have Michigan State at Michigan for the third straight year. Now, I know they didn't have fans this year for that game, but that's not something that Michigan State likes to do is go to Michigan three years in a row. And then you have other games that are of similar, which impacts directly Nebraska against uh, Wisconsin and Purdue, and then as well as Purdue against the other two teams. And then on the other side, Michigan, Michigan State, and Indiana all had two years in a row at one location. That will change for this year. So in order when you in order for that to change, then you look at the current schedule and you'd say, there's just no way you can do that. Number one, you look at Nebraska. Um, I believe it's Nebraska would be playing five straight home games with a bye in the middle. So six straight games are either at home or you have a bye. And then if, and then actually it would be more than that. It would be six straight games with a, with a bye. Right, because you have the southeastern Louisiana game there in November. Exactly. So you, you would go Ohio State, Northwestern, and Purdue at home by week, Michigan, Iowa, and Southwest Louisiana, or Southeast or Southwest Louisiana there. And that, so that's not going to happen. I don't know. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out in November when they show right. up. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, you look at the same way with, uh, I think it's Michigan State would have four straight road games in the Big Ten, Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana, and Rutgers in four consecutive weeks. That's not going to happen. So they're going to have to, and and the more you look at it, the more you say, okay, they're just going to have to redo this whole thing. And I think that brings into play the teams that we cover, which is, you know, Bill Moose has never been shy that he's wanted Iowa to remain on Black Friday after, uh, you know, Sean Eichhorst and Mike Riley booted it. Um, in the past, so I, I would anticipate if they're going to blow it up, they might as well just go ahead and put that one down on that final weekend and, and go with it. Uh, you know, the couple other things, and you're probably better to speak with this, is um, there's the zero-week game. Illinois-Nebraska, that's supposed to be in, in Dublin. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of laughable that you think uh. that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you're Illinois, think of it this way. If you're Illinois... You've got Brett Bielema as your new coach. There's going to be some momentum and energy and interest. Do you really want to send your first game all the way over there? What if you get beat? Then fans are going to fall off the the bandwagon really quick. Play it at home. See if you can get fans there. And then the first week of the season is kind of unreal for the number of games and competitive games that they're kicking off. Penn State at Wisconsin, Indiana at Iowa, Ohio State at at Minnesota, Michigan State at Northwestern. you know, if I were the Big Ten, I would edge those games upward into more zero week because that would get those games on ESPN or Fox and potentially get you a little bit more revenue that you lost this year. So um, those are some fascinating thoughts that I had after that story. I'm all for the Big Ten coming out with a splash on August 28th. Why not? You know, start the year off with a bang. It'll be 90, 100 degrees at some of those locations. Uh, get those fans back into stadiums and, and, and let them sweat it out in in, uh, in week zero. Uh, that that would be a, a fine start to the season, and, and yeah, I mean, in in all seriousness about the the uh, the Dublin Ireland trip, I know a lot of people around Nebraska have been looking forward to that, and you know that game may still happen um, some other year. I just mm-hmm. I just don't really see it in 2021, and and I talked to Bill Moose about this some a few weeks ago, and you know he he of of course 
did not say that the game was off, but he did raise the concerns that by this time, now we're into January, it was November, early December at the time that we talked, you would have all kinds of travel packages sold. You would have tickets filled. Um, it takes more than just buying tickets and showing up for, for the, the, the organizers of that game to make a profit. And they're not going to have the game if they're going to lose money having the game. So at some point, they're going to be faced with that decision. And unless uh, you know, millions of people start getting vaccinated every day and we're in a completely different place in this pandemic in March or April than we are here in, in January, and, and I hope we are in a different place, but but really a different place worldwide, that's what it would take to uh, to keep that August 28th game on the cal- calendar in I- Ireland. I would expect it to, uh, to be played in Champaign, but we will await official word from the Big Ten, from Nebraska, from, from Illinois on that. Yeah, so what I would do with the schedule then is I would keep that game on that weekend, but maybe kick it off on the Thursday. See if you can get a Thursday night or a Friday night kick in Champaign. Uh, and if it's Nebraska, great. If it's not, then you know that's fine. But I, I like the idea of that, and I would love the idea of say Saturday night on the twenty eighth. You know, Indiana at Iowa. You know, your your runners up from the the division play this year. I, you know, push that into zero eight plus. In Iowa's case, I'm sure that they would love having an extra week off before playing Iowa State because, you know, in the past, if you think playing Indiana at home and then at Iowa State, that you would, uh, oh, well, just two opponents. Well, uh, this year is a little different, so <laughs> I think yeah. you might like to have an extra week in the middle. See, now you're cutting into my summer with, with uh, this throw, throwing out there of an August 26th game. Now, now, you're, now you're getting a team that's going to be starting practice like in July. So um, I don't know. I don't know if I can if I can be on board with that. But if I guess they, if they put it on the schedule, I will uh, I'll oblige. I'll, I'll allow them to do that and, and cover the game. August 26th is awfully early to have a game. And it would mean um, it would mean probably a week of practice or, or five days of practice in the month of July, which uh, which can be a tough thing. But um, I think everybody, if it's normal, uh, normal times and you're not uh, in, in, in covid testing to to uh, to get those practices uh, off the ground, um, would be happy to practice in June if they <laughs> if they could yeah. do it then. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and then there's then there's one other f- uh, possibility, and this is I'm anxious to hear what Nebraska's point of view would be on this, and that is there's been some discussion, speculation, and it came you know a lot of what I wrote was what if they dissolve the division structure, and and that is uh, go to something. It's probably a little because there's there's some really strange phenomenons that have gone on with scheduling. Like Iowa and Ohio State have played twice in Columbus since 2005. Uh, mm-hmm. Purdue has not traveled to Michigan since 2011, and those games were wiped out because of when they cut from nine to eight games this, this last year. So do they get reintroduced this year, or do they just say, you know what, now that the NCAA has freed us from these shackles of divisional play that maybe you go with everybody established three permanent rivals you play every year then you play the five teams you know you you go two years on two years off with the rest of the league and then you kick you keep champions week um and you you have a you know kind of a crossover challenge and make that part of the regular season to where if there's an expansion of the big of the playoff schedule you go to eight teams you're not adding an, an extra game for Big Ten teams. So the champion doesn't have to play 13 games and then 
three games to get to the championship. You have it kind of built into the part of the schedule. So, you know, I think if if everybody designated three rivalries, I think that gets most of them. You know, and you know, there's a couple kind of weird ones. I mean, what do you do with Maryland and Rutgers and teams like that? But like for Iowa, it, it'd be a no-brainer. Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska to me. And then Northwestern would be the one you kind of cringe about that you kind of want to keep. But what would it be for Nebraska, do you think? You know, I like the uh, what, what you proposed in your story. I believe you had Wisconsin, Iowa, and Northwestern. Um, uh, I thought it was Minnesota. Minnesota? Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Minnesota, that's fine. I, Minnesota or Northwestern. You know, Nebraska has had some, some – and I think everybody around the Big Ten feels this way, around the Big Ten West – the the games against Northwestern historically, um, they there's a lot of intrigue there. They're always close games. I can say that certainly more so than the way that I've felt about the Minnesota games, which haven't always been things of beauty. You know, they've been there have been big wins by Minnesota. There have been big wins by Nebraska. There have been very ugly games like the ones mm-hmm. we saw the one we saw this year. Um, I'd rather see Nebraska play Northwestern every year as a permanent. Um, a permanent game, but you know the Big Ten may see it differently, may need to to schedule it differently if that's if that's what they decide to do. But um, you know all of that is great stuff to talk about in the in the coming coming weeks. Um, I think it would be it would be welcomed by me. I think it would be welcomed by a lot of people if you just were able to uh, remove some of the unnecessary structure that exists within the league, and then you don't have to have Ohio State in somebody's division. So they, mm-hmm. you know, so that right. you, unless, unless you're Michigan, you're probably not going to play them every single year because right now, let's face it, there is Ohio State, and then there is the rest of the Big Ten, and whichever division Ohio State sits in. That's the division that's going to be viewed as the dominant division right now. You can put random six teams with mm-hmm. Ohio State, and that's the stronger division. And there's not a whole lot anybody can do about it. So um, this this would uh, this would alleviate that situation. Exactly. Since they went to geographic divisions in 2014, uh, the East leads the West 66 to 60, but Ohio State is 15 and two. Right. So you, you remove Ohio State and. The top is really similar, and you know, and Nebraska is one of the uh, six teams with a winning record against the East. They're ten and nine. Uh, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa are, are pretty high. Put that on a, uh, they're going to put that on a billboard in Lincoln, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to salute me, right? No, <laughs> but you know, cha- championships are where the, the money's at when it comes to this, and that's why a lot of people say, "Oh, this needs to happen differently." The East is so much better than the West, which really is not true. They've had seven championships. Ohio State's won five, so you could put. Ohio State in the West and kick Illinois or Purdue to the East, and it's going to be the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Wisconsin's been very good, of course. Iowa's been good the last six years. Um, but Ohio State is just so far beyond everybody else in, in another tier that it just doesn't matter. So I like that idea of everybody gets paired up three times. Michigan would probably go with Ohio State and Michigan State for sure. But then you've got, you know, maybe you, maybe you add Rutgers to them and maybe Maryland goes with Ohio State and, and uh, Northwestern's got a handful of teams. Michigan State really likes playing Northwestern. That's why it's been the pairing for the last six uh, years. Uh, Wisconsin's really close geographically. So I think everybody's got rivalries or, or teams they feel good about. Um, it, it's just, you know, and then, then the other part is you're, if you play everybody two years on, two years off, then, then at least you see people, you know, twice over a four-year period, and, you, and at every location. Right. Well, it sounds good to me. Um, I hope it happens. 
will continue to watch this offseason. It would be a perfect time to do it because the Big Ten has some some uh, fast changes that need to be made here for for this fall. So go ahead and make them uh, long term while, while while you're at it. Is uh, you know that's kind of my thought on it. So let's finish with this. Our bowl game picks. I went last week with Northwestern quarterback Peyton Ramsey to have a good day and a good day he had throwing for 291 yards, three touchdowns. He was MVP of the Citrus Bowl. It was a season high for Peyton Ramsey and perhaps his last game with the Wildcats. Best game as a as a grad transfer there. Home run for me. Um, I'm uh, I'm going to be happy to to uh, to take that one. What did uh, what did you pick last week or two weeks ago? I'm trying to remember. I think it was Garrett Groshek from from Wisconsin. Okay. okay. And uh, he you know he had 41 rushing yards and 14 receiving yards, but he did have a touchdown. And uh, they kind of spread the ball around between him and, and Jalen Berger, which is you know what you kind of expected. So, uh, you know, I, I would say you win, but I would say this wasn't as bad as some of the other picks we've made over the course of the fall. Yeah, I'm happy with mine. And uh, let's 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 quick pick something for the uh, for the title game on Monday. I am going to go with Chris Olave to get behind the Alabama secondary and do a little bit of what we saw him do against Clemson, uh, maybe 100 yards and a touchdown for Olave. 100 yards and a touchdown for Olave, man. That's that's a good numbers. I mean, it, it would be easy for me to just say um, Trey Sermon's going to run for 150. So I'm going to say it. <laughs> He's going to run for 150 and score twice. And, uh, you know, here this guy kind of came out of nowhere, even though he came from Oklahoma, but didn't. He didn't have really any impact on the no. year until the end of it, and kind of like Ezekiel Elliott in 2014. But right, man, uh, what he did against Northwestern, what he did against Clemson, I think he'll do the same thing against Alabama and probably put himself in the first, second round discussion. Are you saying Ohio State's going to win? I'm saying Ohio State's going to win. You are okay. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I'll go with Alabama. How about that? Okay. There you go. <laughs> How about that? I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I, I think it'll be like it was when they played the, the semifinals six year, six or seven years ago. All right. Well, the next time we get together, we've got lots to uh, lots to remember about how we picked the championship. That is our show for today. Please continue to listen to the Big Football Show. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Review the show. Give us a five-star rating. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic for coverage from all of us and much more. Thanks for listening.